0: Welcome to The Tattooed Mind, a podcast where we explore the intersection of mental health, self-care, and the art of tattooing. This podcast is dedicated to sharing stories, insights, and inspiration from artists who have struggled and overcome obstacles in their lives and careers. My name is Mike Fisher DuBois, and as a recovering addict, I know how scary the thought of relapse can be. The idea of putting in all that work only to have to start over. In this episode, Nick Boychuk shares his experience doing exactly that. Nick's faith plays a large role in his recovery. I know sometimes hearing people talk about God and religion can turn off ears and hearts The message beneath it, I would encourage you to come into this episode with an open mind, find the stuff that works for you, and leave the rest to him. I'm excited for Nick to get to share his experience with you in his own words.
1: My name's Nick Boychuk. I live in Mission, BC now. I'm originally from Kelowna, BC, up in Canada. I've been tattooing just not very long, a little over three years now. I've been getting tattooed since I was like 15 or 16. I remember the first time I went to like a legit shop. It was like these, uh, a lot of bikers there. And I thought, honestly, I thought they were just going to kill me after the tattoo and like just leave me in the back alley and take my money. I was terrified of them. But then they ended up treating me like I was their best friend after. I was like, oh, this is the coolest thing ever, dude. So that, that kind of sparked my love for being in tattoo shops. I kind of got tattooed throughout the year and entertained the idea of like, oh, it'd be cool to do this. But uh, when I moved to Abbotsford in 2014, I got tattooed at a shop and had a really bad experience. And I was like, Man, why am I getting tattooed? This is stupid. And then a few years later, I got tattooed by my buddy Cody in Surrey, B.C. And after only about an hour of being in the shop I was they treated me like I was their best friend. they just like treated me super cool and I was like, oh, this is why I love love being in tattoo shops so for me, honestly it wasn't really about an about art or anything like that um I kind of just fell in love with tattoo, which would explain why I got more into like the traditional side of things and all that so when I decided that I wanted to pursue tattooing, I went to the art store and bought a bunch of paints and started learning to, teaching myself how to paint and went from there so yeah I, I think the main thing that got me into tattooing was tattooing and like the love for the culture and the history and all that sort. of seven or six years before tattooing I did a year-long treatment program which I graduated from um, I grew up skateboarding and like when I was 17 I was hanging out with dudes who were like in their mid to late 20s early 30s type deal so hanging out with a bit of an older crowd and working at a skate shop and they're the ones that first introduced me to into coke um and i used pretty heavy for about two years when i was younger when i got into tattooing i was still clean um i was was drinking but not i wasn't abusing it i'd say but i was drinking at that time i'd already been in recovery for a little while i think once a lot of those issues came up uh last year um I dealt with really, I realized recently that I've dealt with really bad self-worth and abandonment issues all my life. And then also being ADHD, I'm more prone to being addicted to stimulants. So for me, it was like when my counselor thinks I wanted to a manic episode, but basically, yeah, I just, I relapsed back in October after about seven or eight, eight years in total. And, uh, And yeah, I just, it, the easiest way is to say it, it just made me feel normal and it like took the weight off my shoulders. I felt like I couldn't operate without it in essence. I think one of the hard things with tattooing is that it's very, on the surface level, it's high income and fast money. And so one of the hard things is when you're getting however much money a day, like don't need to say a number, but like, picking up an ape all a day doesn't seem that bad. And then um honestly there was just kind of this level of shame attached to it as well, especially being a newer tattooer. Um that I was like, man, I'm just destroying my, my career before it even starts. And um of course there's that shame cycle that goes on. And uh Yeah, it's like I said, I think my counselor thinks I was in a bit of a manic episode, so I I read this thing this morning and it was like, we talked about how like this one guy was saying during his manic episode, like he was in like always paranoid and like just like all over the place. But at the same time he was producing better work. And I kind of related to that because I was thinking back, I'm like, yeah, like I was, some of my best work was produced in, in those months, but it was out of this place of just absolute mental insanity. Um, I'd say now, being fully sober in tattooing, I feel like I kind of have a bit of a better grasp on riding the rodeo bowl of tattooing. Does that make sense? It feels more like riding a horse trot than it does like a kicking bull.
0: <laughs> totally. Yeah, it's so easy to look at stuff you're doing and think because, you know, you stayed up all night drawing and made a lot of stuff that somehow it was like really good. You know, yeah, it's almost like we equate productivity with, um, with quality, and it's not always the case.
1: Yeah, that was that was kind of a hard thing coming back. I like, I kind of felt like my tattoos got worse for a bit, and I mean, I took two months off of tattooing, so there's some like there's a little bit of like wiggle room in there, but I noticed that like I had more attention to detail, but I seem to have like lost that hectic energy that was producing these these designs or, or like even certain cleanliness of of tattoos. And that's that's kind of been a thing I've been struggling through. Like I've been more proud of my work ever than ever. But at the same time, yeah, it, it's just been a weird process. But I think part of it is also not that I'm not basing my identity and my self worth on my tattooing something that i've noticed with other guys is that when they first get
0: clean like your brain chemistry gets so thrown off because our bodies adapt to having all these substances in us and so when your brain chemistry goes back to not having that shit sometimes it can be really hard to like stay focused and actually be putting out the sort of work that you think that you should be but it comes back because you you know um so like, don't judge yourself quite yet. You yeah, know, if you've got thre- <laughs> about three months on you. Um, wait, t- wait till you hit that year before you're like, oh, man, maybe I was better.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah i I'm like, I'm medicated for the first time in my life, which has been just a total godsend. I've been reading a lot into ADHD. And one thing I've learned is if you think of the output of like a normal person's brain, you would think of it like a garden hose with the tap turned on. And then what it's like for someone with ADHD, it's like having a fire hose, but then you like poke a bunch of holes in the fire hose. So it's this high pressure water coming out of a bigger faucet, but it's also spraying off in 10 different directions. So what being medicated, like properly medicated now, I should say, kind of feels like it closes off all those extra holes. So it is going out one output, but it also slows the water down a little bit. So it's kind of getting back to normal. Whereas before I was self-medicating with alcohol and drugs and it wasn't necessarily turning down the faucet. It was just pushing it in one direction, but it was just complete mania.
0: It's so easy to think you've got like a handle on that stuff too. You're like, oh, I can do it. It's just like a a little bit of blow here and then some weed and some booze here. And if that doesn't work, I'll take a Xanax or whatever and... Like it's sort of one of those things where when you start juggling so much, you can't do it, especially with an addict's brain, because we're always going to be like, well, that's not working quite well enough. I better try something a little bit more.
1: Oh, exactly. I even noticed too, once I did certain medication, I still held on to some of that thought process. At first I was like, oh, if I like, if I have a big day, maybe I'll take two instead of one. So I'm like, okay, I have to like, cut that snake off at the head right there. And like, I'm like, okay, Doc, like give me blistered back or else I'm going to fall into the same trap as before. Like you hit the nail on the head with that. Like we're always trying to self correct.
0: Yeah, I like I can't be trusted with that shit personally. Weeds harmless for the most part. But I know like me personally, if I like decided, well, I can have like half an edible before bed. That'll help me sleep. Like, you know, I'm going to end up having like six edibles. When I wake yeah. up in the morning, because I'm like, you know, oh, that felt good last night. It's going to feel great today. And it's yeah. just not something
1: I can be trusted to do. It's like once something feels good, you're like, well, if I triple that amount, that should feel really good. Like, yeah.
0: Yeah. yep, absolutely. So going back a little bit, another thing that you had talked about uh, that was just like, I think is super important as tattooers <laughs> is we so often wrap up all of our self-worth and our internal identity to the work that we're producing and often not even the actual work itself but how other people respond to that work Um, and you said you're trying really hard not to do that could you kind of describe some of that for us
1: i've had mentors warn me about this is that like the last person you want to listen to is your clients because they're going to be the first to pump your tires and it's really nice that they want to show appreciation, but at the same time, it's like respectfully they don't really know what they're talking about. And in my town, I I started off being kind of the only traditional tattooer there, the only guy who's like painting flash and like really like diving deep into that style of tattooing. So I built up a pretty good clientele pretty fast, but I was wrapping so much of my self worth up in people being like oh you're the guy you're the trad god and I'm like realistically like I'm still a new tattooer I like I'm lucky if I pull off a clean tattoo and I haven't even seen most of my tattoos lived in long enough to know if I'm doing things that'll hold right so I uh but I kind of let that get to me and then one of the hard things is like when you have all these people coming and validating you on a daily basis it can build up your ego and your self-worth and then You go about your day being like, yeah, my worth is based in this in tattoo instead of who I am as a person. Um, And then say you have a a bit of a miss on a tattoo and you start deep spiraling because you're like, oh, I just screwed up a tattoo or it's not where I want it to be. And then your whole self-worth is just destroyed for the week. That can really lead us into some dangerous places where it's like. As of now, it's like, OK, maybe I haven't been as happy with some of the tattoos I've done. There's still that part of me, that bases my worth there. But then I see them come back. I'm like, oh, you know what? It's that's like, that's actually like pretty good. Like that's not I made that seem to be worse. And it's this weird sense of pride. We so often think that pride is like thinking highly of ourselves, but it's not the opposite of pride isn't thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less maybe if I just take my eyes off myself, then, then this won't be such a problem. And like one of the funny things, like even how tattooing has affected my relationships and stuff. And this is probably the best thing for me, but it's also really hard. Is like one thing I appreciate so much about my wife is that she doesn't really care about tattoos. <laughs> um, like anytime I get tattooed, she's like, Oh, s- sweet. Good for you. Like, or if I like show her something, she's like, oh, like, good job. Like, um, and it's not that she's not invested in what I'm passionate about, but she doesn't hold that same value that I hold to it. So for her, she doesn't see my value or my worth as a person in my tattooing. So she kind of just gets to see the ugly side of me, which is really good. And the number one person at call- calling me out or like course correcting me is her because she can see through all the bullshit
0: do you try to ever be like, what would my wife say about how I'm talking right now or how I'm thinking, you know, without oh. like actually expressing it to her? Do you just use her as like a moral compass in the back
1: of your head? Oh, totally. Like, yeah. Like, yeah, it's funny. I even, even just saying like BS there, I'm like, Oh, I know she's going to listen to this later and probably call me out on saying that, but it felt like the right word to use, <laughs> but I totally do it with like when I'm with clients and stuff too. It's like, but find I myself starting to talk like a sailor, I'm like, oh, is this like the most edifying conversation? Would I be talking this way if my wife was
0: around? <laughs> On the topic of bad language, I'm a huge fan of curse words. And yeah. yeah, there's like study after study that actually shows that people come across as more trustworthy and empathetic if they are willing to curse around you. Um yeah. So so don't put yourself completely off on it, especially with clients, because it can like subconsciously actually make them think that you are feeling their emotional and physical. pain. Yeah. More.
1: I think there's a, I think there's a balance with it. And I think there's a time and place for for a certain language. Um, my first time through treatment, um, you were not allowed to swear at all. There. Really? So they had a they had a discipline program where every Tuesday or Wednesday, you'd meet with the program director and throughout the week, if you did something wrong, they would issue you like a behavior ticket. So if you, they caught you swearing behavior ticket and then when you meet up, you would get days of discipline, which is essentially being grounded at that place. So that especially growing up a skateboarder, like that was probably one of the number one things I got called out for is like always using foul language. But one of the program directors made a really good comment to me. He's like, so much more often than not, if we're swearing, it's because we don't know how to communicate what we're saying. And I'm like, oh, oh, that makes sense. But on the other hand, there's like you said, like sometimes that that swear word is appropriate. Like if you want to call something for what it is, or if you want to call out like a raw emotion, like there's a time and place for it.
0: Yeah, I think more of the logic behind it is that you're when people hear that you're not filtering your talk, they are more likely to believe what you're saying. Right. You oh, know, totally. So like, if you never curse, they're like, Oh, well, they're saying curse words in their head. They're just like stopping from saying it. So what else are they saying in their head that they're not saying?
1: Yeah. That's, that's a good point. I guess I've never had too much of a problem with oversharing. So <laughs> people are like, are you, should be, are you sure you should be telling me this? I'm like, it does. It It makes us relatable. Like. <laughs>
0: yep no absolutely and that's like a super like big gift as a tattooer right because we have to make quick friends with people and we have to get them to trust us so
1: yeah totally and like not that I'm like trying to not that I'm trying to sell myself in like a cheesy salesman but like I spent 10 years doing retail and like especially working in a skate shop with like people in your local like skateboard community you learn to make friends with your customers your clients and like be genuine with people and you kind of learn how to sell yourself a little bit and part of that is just learning how to communicate with people and relate to people and like listen to them and like so that was one thing that worked really well for me because like I didn't like the sales part I didn't like the disingenuine part of it but I love the one-on-one connections you make like one of my favorite parts about working at a skate shop was was setting up a kid's first skateboard and then uh, like a month later seeing him at the skate park and then trying to help them teach him how to holly and it's the same thing with the tattoo client it's like you run into them somewhere and you're like you remember who? you might not remember their name because i'm the worst at that but like you remember who they are and you're like oh how'd that tattoo heal up and then you end up like making friends right i mean that's that's the idea at least you're making
0: genuine connections with these people you know, I mean, everything sales. and you see so many tattooers who are just these phenomenal artists and then they just turn around and they act like a complete asshole. And it's, you know, it's like it doesn't matter how good your
1: tattoo is if somebody doesn't want to sit with you for six hours to get it. I think tattooing is kind of half about the tattoo and the other half is about the experience. And like, I would even tie that back to like how I got into tattooing. Like I had that one bad tattoo experience. It felt like the guy brushed me off. He didn't really care. I asked him to draw me something. And then he showed me pictures off Pinterest. And he's like, which one do you want? I was like, man, this is kind of dumb. Like, why, why do people do this? But then I had an experience where I went and got tattooed. And the guy treated me like we went to high school together. And so did everyone in the shop. And I was like, oh, this is what tattoo is all about. Like, and you just get excited about it, right? that's one of the nice things then about like having like a really
0: open and honest social media presence which you do you know like when you went uh, into rehab you were like I, hey guys yeah. i got like some shit going on i gotta take care of this first you know and like i think having that sort of communication with your clients in a big scale like that and potential future clients is sort of Taking the place of that almost because they get to know that you're yeah. a, a real person, you know, you're a family guy, you've got shit that you have to take care of, and you're willing to take care of it.
1: That for me, like taking that time off, that was like one of the most humbling experiences because I was already the low, but I was ready to get torn into and be like, and I had a message and be like, hey guys, I actually have to reschedule. I don't know how long I'm taking off. I could be as long as September and like. I got to reschedule you and unfortunately, And I know that this is me canceling or this is me um, essentially breaking the contract of the deposit on my end. And I had to be honest and be like, oh, honestly, I'm not in a position where I can pay back your deposit right now. Um, I had no money and, and I was expecting to get torn into. I was like, there's for sure going to be at least three people that sue me. And I, because I had a few people that had like a thousand dollars worth of gift cards down and every single person except for one was like, dude, we will wait for you. Take your time. We appreciate you. And that just like floored me. I was like, wow. Like, and that like also made me feel like the importance of offering a genuine experience of getting tattooed was like, man, these people, like these people don't just want me for a tattoo. Like they actually care about me. Like having clients that actually care about you, like that just humbled me so deeply. Yeah. No, that's amazing, man.
0: Um, I had a similar experience when I was off for a month, and I but I had no idea how long it would be off. And and nobody caused a fit about it. And it's, like you said, humbling to know that we're cared about like that. Um, I think so often, you know, when we get into our dark spots, we'll think like nobody cares about us. Like n- none of my clients give a shit the only one who cares about me is my wife. And she only sort of sometimes cares, you know? And yeah, like, and that's to have like actual tangible proof that all that shit is just wrong. It kind of throws off your whole
1: perspective on the world. Right. The one thing, have you read or listened to a guy named Gabor Mate? I haven't. I was listening to an interview with him and I think this probably applies to a lot of tattooers. Is that like, He was saying, like, I have really, really bad abandonment issues. And the reason that I became a doctor was because I wanted to be wanted. And everybody always wants or needs a doctor. And I had that moment of like, oh, my gosh, that's a huge reason why I became a tattooer. I've like, I always idolized tattooers and thought they were the coolest people ever. And like this, like elite class. I'm like, I want to be wanted by everybody and like I got bullied super bad in high school so now it's like there is this like feeling of like overcoming that because the girls who rejected me are now asking me for tattoos or the people who bullied me are like oh dude sick work like I want to book in with you and I'm like finally like my redemption and that's where I was basing so much of my worth of being like okay these people all hated me as as just like normal Nick but now, now that I can do this service and I kind of developed this perverted idea in my mind that that's still how, that because of that, that's all my clients expected of me is they just want a tattoo and that it was super, so like, or super surface level like that. And when I had to go through that experience of messaging people and being brutally honest being like, guys, I screwed up. Like I need to go take care of myself. Like I almost committed suicide last night. Like, I need to I need to go take this time off and they're like when the overwhelming response was dude we care deeply about you how can we help and like I had a lot of like clients offer help my wife move because we moved back into my in-laws temporarily and like um I had a lot of clients who were like hey like can I buy a painting off you to support your family during this time it like it like really did bring me to my knees that I'm like oh man like I've had this super shallow self worth of thinking that I'm only as valuable as how good my tattoos are, but I've been missing the mark this whole time.
0: We have a terrible view on our own lives. <laughs> um, you know, just a terrible perspective. Like we can't see shit through anything. Um, yeah. And, yeah. And that sounds like what you're describing. Um, it is so amazing when we find out that that's wrong. So uh, yeah, you, you talked a couple times about how, what you used to see your self worth as, and where you used to look for self worth. Where do you try and find that now?
1: Uh, so for me, like I, I'm Christian, and like I, I hold a lot of faith that my value is in who God says I am and who God created me to be. Um, kind of the cornerstone of my recovery was my Christian faith, um, and so. One of the things that's helped me through that is that humans are only capable of having a subjective standard, whereas I believe God has an objective standard that can't be moved or changed with, like, it doesn't change with culture, it doesn't change with times. Um, whereas, as we can kind of see in culture in so many areas of life, like, human morality of what's good and evil changes so fast. So, um, I mentioned earlier or i mentioned over our text how like the recovery group i'm part of um one of the big differences from like an na or an aa um and i guess i should also pre this since if there's people listening that i don't want to sound like i'm trash talking AA or na because it, they obviously do great work and the people that put the time and effort into there like nothing but respect like but for me personally i uh i wasn't I can't decide who I want God to be because I can't trust myself. And, but I can trust God. If that makes sense. Like I, I've learned that I need to surrender to myself daily and that like, Hey, like maybe I don't have all this figured out and maybe I do need to surrender to that higher power. And I have a pretty specific view of who that higher power is. um, And that he does have objective standards and, that's something to strive towards, but it's and it like set my standard as, but uh, yeah, I think that's kind of been like the big cornerstone on which I lean on. That's awesome, man.
0: Um, I'm a pretty religious guy too, so I, I follow that. And we, I told you that when we were texting the other, yeah. Day. Um, I think for anyone listening to the big thing to get out of that, besides you know, kind of having a vision of what you want to be happening with your life Um, because that's really the big thing is you need to have like something set like this is what i expect out of myself and then you have to be okay when you don't quite get there but you have to always be looking at that um but the other big thing to look at out of that is there are multiple approaches to recovery um, you know, a lot of the time we get kind of shoved into, well, you got to do this AA box. Um, and you no, know, that's sort of how I felt is like, this is where you have to go. This is what recovery looks like. And it's not the case. Um, you know, working a program typically is best in my opinion. Um, but you know, there are options out there that aren't AA.
1: Yeah, exactly. And like, I. Like even the program I did, um, the like the treatments. So the treatment center I went to for the six weeks, um, I did a refresher program. It's it was the same program I completed back in twenty fourteen or twenty fifteen, whichever year that was. Um, it's Christian based and but it's not twelve step. And I I think that's a really important point you said is like I spent my eight years of being recovered or like in recovery of being like no this is the way that you do it because the success rates are so high and like I I think one thing I've learned this time is that like recovery is a lot more dynamic than we want to make it out to be I think as people who have struggled with addictions or whatever it may be we want to have rigid rules and guidelines of like nope this is how you do it and this is how it is and we want that structure because all we've experienced is chaos. But in reality, recovery is a dynamic thing. Like the group I'm part of now, it, it is a 12-step-based program. And like one of the things I've had to kind of overcome mentally is be like, hey, like, okay, like I kind of got back in the swing of things, but now I'm also going to restart and like I'm going to start working the steps. Like even though like I might not feel like I'm in a position where I need to, I'm like, okay, no, like you need to have a more dynamic approach to this and like the group i've been a part of has just been fantastic so yeah it's not one size fits all when it comes to recovery i think sometimes people in recovery can sell themselves short um i when i my first experience in recovery i grew up like hardcore atheist um and when i was really making that struggle of like okay do i actually believe in god or not is like i kind of made this fleece where it was like all right i'll put in the work but I don't want to have to white knuckle it to stay sober. I don't want to be going week by week being like, Oh, I really want to drink or I really want to line right now. Like I, I was like, I need to be free of this. And that's not to say that I can just go live willy nilly and like, be like, Oh, I'll go to a bar and just not drink. Like obviously there's still accountability stuff, but I'm like, there needs to be more than life than struggling to stay sober. And I've seen a lot of guys and respect to them for being 20 years sober. And if that's what works, that works. But like, you, I've talked to them and I'm like, man, like, it seems like you're still just like, all you want to do is drink. And you're just like, denying this like surface level aspect. I'm like, I I think we need to get to the core root of like, what caused us to want to drink? What caused us to want to use? Right. Um, and I think that's something we were talking about the other day is like, at yeah, my recovery group, I don't even say that, like, I struggle with with coke because like currently I don't I'm not tempted to go get coke I'm not tempted to go take out cash and go on an all-night bender or a week-long bender the thought of it kind of reviles me but I do struggle with self-worth and abandonment issues so I'm like okay that's where like in my recovery those are the root causes of like what's made me act in the way I've acted it's not a quick step but like I've started to like get that like understanding of like oh like this is how my brain is operating this is why i want to do what i want to do or why i have these inclinations or why stimulants affect me the way that they do um so i think and so when like you're like okay well there's a recovery program where you don't take accountability for your wrong i'm like dude if you can stay sober like that's great like Obviously, like any any sort of sobriety I support, but at the same time, I'm like, you're not going to get very far if you don't take accountability. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, And and I've yeah, I I agree with
0: you. Um, I, I think that the most important thing is for someone who is struggling, who knows they're struggling, is to take and make the effort to get better. But I've always felt like an important part of that is the acknowledgement that, you are the one who is making things worse, you know? Um, yeah. Like, and for me, I was so disconnected from any sense of higher purpose outside of tattooing. It's so funny. Cause like tattooing in many ways saved my life. Like the fact that I was about to lose a job tattooing was why I like actually quit for the last time. Um, yeah. But that was always like such an important thing like it almost was my higher power you know for so many years and that was so misplaced because I was forgetting about my community I was forgetting about my wife I was just putting all these other things in not the important order that they should go in life
1: yeah I uh it's funny like when I was in treatment um I I think where everyone can kind of do this, but like I I was like, OK, like I have I have a priority ladder and at the top of that priority ladder, there's God. And then I prioritize family and then I prioritize work and then hobbies and stuff like that. And then I heard this person kind of break break apart that thought statement where they're like, well, no, because in in you saying like, OK, first God for then whatever or then family and then work, you're you're separating them from each other. So it's like, what if you viewed all of those through the lens of of prioritizing God and like he will take care of managing that for you? And that's one thing I've noticed is like. I'm able to set a lot healthier boundaries with work because I want to be a God honoring husband and dad. So and it's brought me closer to my family, I have felt and I felt more fulfillment in all those areas of being like. I feel more fulfilled as a husband and a dad. And like, I have a great relationship with my wife and kids. And like, it's awesome that my kids are like, want to play with me and like all this. And then even with work, like, because I don't have, because I'm approaching work through the filter of God first, I'm not basing my identity in or my worth in my work, which has made me more fulfilled at work. So it's kind of like this backhanded thing where it's like, Or like this like reverse uno card thing where like you surrender everything. But then it comes and and it's hard to give up those things. But once you surrender those things to God, God will give you them back in a good way, in a healthy way that helps you manage everything. Because like I learned from before, like I can't manage any of that, like. Right before I went into treatment, like I was working 10 to 14 hour days and I was taking home more cash than I've ever seen in my lifetime. Um, But I wasn't able to manage a work home life on my own. I wasn't able to manage my own mental health on my own. Like I couldn't do anything on my own. It all just like came apart. And now it's like I'm like, okay, like even if my schedule feels a little hectic, like it doesn't bother me the same way.
0: Totally. Yeah, I I've had so much of the, the same experience that like I, I feel like I hear you talk and I just know everything you're saying is completely true. Yeah. Um, And I wonder if someone who hasn't gone through that would think that you're just bullshitting. They just wouldn't even believe that your life is as great
1: as it is. I mean, like I'm I guess, yeah, it, like when things are from I've on a surface level, I don't know if I could paint a picture and say, like, oh my life is so great because like I think the values are are different. Like in reality, like I'm still living with my in laws and we still don't have much money. Like we're we're still recovering from that. And like I and like don't get me wrong, like I love the studio I work in right now, but it's definitely different than like the last shop I worked in was like honest it it was like the perfect fit for me. So I think a lot of people could see my life right now and be like, oh, well, he's living with his in-laws and he doesn't have money and he's like working out of a private studio now because he like can't go back to his old shop. And I, but for me, that's not where the value in things are. Like those things will come. But I, and I think that's where someone would paint the picture of being like, that's where their priorities are at. Um, One of my, one of my good friends, we were having a, a talk and he's like, Just about how we value different, like different people value different things. Um, And he's like, yeah, you can, you can work all these hours and you can, you can provide a really nice house with like brand new stainless steel appliances and like a really nice dishwasher. But at the end of the day, if you're not home with your kids, your kids probably would have just rather lived in a rental and hand spent the time hand washing dishes with you. That would have proved with more value. So I think for anyone like in that spot where they like feel like they can't manage or feel like hey this guy's just talking out his ass or like anything, I would just say like hey like really take a step back and and be critical of like where where do your values lie at and where do you see the problems like where where do things feel out of control and where where is there the chaos, right? It's well said, man. It's super well said. Um, so
0: can I ask you? you talk about God and where that kind of puts you in or where he puts you in life and how that has sort of shaped your whole recovery and not just your recovery, but how you just behave day to day. Uh, I feel like there are a lot of people out there that would say, well, why can't you separate God out of that? Why does God have to exist for that to happen? And I would disagree with them. I would say, because, he yeah does, but w- what would you say to that you know how because I, I i know there's going to be like people who are non-religious listening to this and they're gonna instantly want to tune out when they hear that um and i yeah I think and i mean listen through it but
1: i i think so too i think it's i think it's critical to listen through to opposing viewpoints and like i would say that like i would go back to what i said about subjective versus objective um moralities and that I think as humans we can't really set objective standards Um, and that you know the ego the ego is the death of many people in recovery I know like I have pretty specific viewpoints and recovery is a dynamic thing and there are people who have been sober for a long time Um, so whether they believe in Jesus or whether they believe in the flying spaghetti monster they're still su- surrendering themselves and dying to themselves to that higher power. Um, so I think if you're arguing about what the higher power is, I think you're, that person might be missing the mark of like, Hey, like we need to surrender ourselves because we're not in control of this situation. Um, and I don't think that there is a way that you can like our. I, I made a tattoo based on this. It's like my ego is not my amigo and it's a little skull. <laughs> like, but like, um. Yeah, it, it's the ego that says that I can I can do this on my own, and it's the ego that says that I need to be the person to do this, and that's where that was a big area I was struggling in. Was like, my ego was telling me that I need I, I'm the breadwinner, not God. I'm the one in control of this, not God, and really like everything just came spiraling out of control. Like I said earlier in in this talk, like I used to be like a really hardcore atheist man, and it wasn't like. It wasn't like joining some cult. The final sentence I heard right before I would say I like truly converted was I was listening to a pastor and he's like, We might be wrong and that's okay to admit it. And I was like, Oh, that's okay. Like, I still struggle with the belief of like I like the the actual belief that there is like an intelligent design and that there is like a God, that that's my number one struggle to this day. But I find myself having to surrender to that struggle and be like, you know what? I might be wrong, but I'd rather live my life this way. I'm nice. I'm kinder to people. I treat I treat more people with compassion. I'm a better husband, a better father. Um, It's less of a dickhead to be around.
0: Like I fully have had this the same experience Um, is something that just was coming to mind is that. I, I I, truly believe in God out of necessity. If I don't believe in God, I cannot live the life that I do. Um, and, and my life is markably better while acting as if God is real and Christ is savior. And, you know, that's all the proof I need. You know, if doing these things and acting this way makes my life better, then it doesn't really matter if I'm right or wrong because my life is better.
1: <laughs> yeah. And like, I've always been a pretty critical thinker in the sense of like, I, I don't subscribe to beliefs just because they are the way they are. Like I need to, I need to see things drawn to conclusion. Um, and I said earlier, I went to Bible college because I thought I wanted to be a pastor. I didn't not choose to be a pastor out of like being hurt by the church or being like, oh, at the church. Like that wasn't why I made my decision, but Um, I did study theology. And like, the more I studied the worldview, different religion worldviews and a secular worldview, the more I was like, Oh, I think this Christian worldview actually lines up when you get to the proper context and deep end of it. Um, And I think a lot of people get thrown off. As soon as you say Christian, like, there's a lot of stereotypical assumptions about them. I'm like, Yeah, you know, but chat with me first, like, don't just assume this like I have lots of non non non-Christian friends and I mean I I've always asked myself the question when you're chatting to someone about Christianity that doesn't believe in it's like are you interested in behavior modification or are you interested in sharing the gospel and like how does sharing the gospel work out practically and I think for myself like one of the reasons I try and be open and vulnerable with people and also admit that like hey like I'm not, like, on my own, I'm not a great dude, is because that's kind of the point of Christianity. Like, I'm not trying to... I, I see tattooers online that be, they approach Christianity and, like, sharing it from kind of an offensive where I think we almost need to share from maybe, like, I don't know if defensive is the right word, but, like, out of a state of humbleness of being like, hey, like, I'm not... I'm not above any of you, if anything, I'm the chief among sinners, which like Paul says too, right? like, I don't, I'm not interested in, in like, deconverting someone from like an LGBT lifestyle or anything like that. Like, that's never my intention. I don't care about behavior modification. If I care about behavior modification, I sure wouldn't be doing lines of coke after work. You know what I mean? And not that I have now, like, obviously, like, there is a level of like, yeah, you should, focus on some behavior modification because like there's a there's a base standard of how to function in society but like i i think when we when we really see where where we're at and that like each of us like that every person falls short of the glory of god and that like we should really approach people with humility and kindness and treat people with value at like i don't think you can really go wrong in that and I, that's a big thing my faith has taught me is like that like I am no better than anyone else and that I should really really just listen and treat people better
0: do you have like any piece of advice you would give to another tattooer finds themselves in a position where they're just really just struggling with how they're handling their life not even necessarily because they're using drugs or alcohol in a way that's unhealthy, but maybe they just are watching too much TV or they can't balance their clients. They just there's something off in their life. How would they like hit that reset button, do you think?
1: Go to counseling. I think every tattooer should go to counseling. I don't think any of us are normal. <laughs> and like I say that kind of half hearted, but I they really do a deep dive into things like there's a lot of like common words used now like trauma and stuff like that but like really you like evaluate things and like if you have to go to counseling to get an opinion like do that like get into a healthy lifestyle try and quit drinking and see what that does if you can't quit drinking then maybe that's something to evaluate but I think I think we're so quick to be self-critical of our work but not self-critical of ourselves and I would say take that intensity of how much you analyze that one line that you put into a tattoo and maybe just analyze one aspect of your life. And if you can get, put some control in it, like read a book, develop healthy habits. Like if you can like figure out what works for you, I like, I find for myself, having a consistent routine is like the best thing I can do for my mental health. Um, but also figure out how to navigate it when you don't like, I don't know. It's, That's, I think that would be the the number one thing, though. I think being in tattooing for as as short as I have been and also having had such a wild ride and still barely being on the outside of like coming into some sustainability, I don't want to sound like I have it all together or that my like my word holds too much weight. But I would just say, yeah, try and be self-critical in the in the way that you're critical about your tattoos like that
0: how do people find you if they want to get tattooed if they want to see your work buy a painting
1: yeah um i'm on instagram i'm just nick Boychuk tattoo that's usually the easiest way um i'm and hopefully you have my name spelt up on the podcast thing it's uh my last name spelt a little weird it's Z um if you are in canada and want a book um i mean if you're in the states too and want to travel i Sweet, that's awesome, but there's probably better tattooers to go.